0: Good morning and welcome to the uh, newest season of Breakfast. So today's speaker, I've uh, worked with him in the past and uh, was both happy and sad to hear about his move to PEI. And I would now like to hand the show over to Michael Gardner. Michael, it's all yours. Thanks so much, Matt.
1: Hi, everybody. It's a real pleasure to be able to uh, present to you today. The last time I did this, I think, was roughly four years ago at uh, in the auditorium at uh, Sinai. So the title of my talk today is Stranger in a Strange Land, moving from Hospital Road to Charlottetown. And um, I thought it was an interesting topic because for me, having spent my pretty much my whole career in academia to move to a more rural underserviced area has been a huge eye opener. And uh, I thought I would take you through some of the differences and really get into some of the potential here. I'll talk about why I moved Um, I'll talk about the differences and opportunities, and I really want to get into what the future looks like here uh, on PEI. So just for those of you who don't know me, my background, I'm an infectious diseases physician with uh, special training in infection control, and I was the head of infection control at UHN for roughly 20 years, and during that time, I uh, opened up a consulting group within UHN called Ignite, and we did a, a bunch of leadership and change work in different parts of the world, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go through a little bit of that in a second. But I spent a fair amount of time advising the people in charge what they needed to do in order to solve complex problems. You know, one of the interesting things for me here, of course, is that I'm the guy who I'm advising. So it's been uh, that's been a big, a big shift for me. I am the lead for the Schulich School of Business, uh, a business physician leadership development program. And that's a program uh, that we've run with physicians as well as non-physicians. We've run this for the OMA, for the Medical Society of PEI, and also for a collection of hospitals, including uh, Humber River uh, just a couple of years ago. My area of interest kind of involved into complexity science and leading change because of my background in infection control. Um, Those of us who work in infection control know that you tell people what to do and they largely ignore you. And so I started to learn how do I get people to come along with me to change behavior. And so over the last 10 years, my career has significantly shifted into that world. I was the former chief of staff at Humber River, and I was in that position for two years just prior to coming here, actually. And I still actually work um, at UHN. I'm one of the credential physicians there. I still do infection control at Women's College. I work with a few other hospitals in Ontario as well. Being an infection control physician in the middle of a pandemic has meant that... um, you know, I needed to keep those relationships going because I did not feel that I could possibly uh, walk away from people during a pandemic. So I I continue to have those relationships and it's actually been very pleasant for me to hop between frontline infection control to leading a health authority and back and forth. It's been an interesting uh, dynamic. So, as I mentioned, I was at UHN. Uh, UHN, as uh, we all know and love, is a pretty amazing place where you can have access to pretty much anything. Um, If you needed somebody to operate on the left-hand side of the brain, we've probably got a specialist who will do that for you. Um, And, you know, I really grew up at UHN. I had some amazing leaders there who really taught me a great deal. It's funny, I think of actually uh, Tom Claussen all the time because Tom and I worked together at the start of my career during SARS. And so I would think of what did, what did Tom do in this situation when I'm here now as CEO during the pandemic? The second picture is me at Humber in the command center. Those of you who haven't heard or seen of the command center at uh, Humber River, it's truly a technological marvel. And so Humber's building is extraordinary, the way it was built, the ventilation, the interconnectivity. So I went from UHN where we had access to every specialty under the sun and Humber where we had all this technology to a healthcare system that we still don't have reliable Wi-Fi in our buildings. Um, There's been a lot of issues here with builds over the years and it was quite shocking for me to go to a different area having been frankly spoiled by kind of the best of the best uh, when I worked in uh, Ontario. So just a word about my consulting work. Um, uh, A group of us helped uh, different parts of the world with leading difficult change initiatives in Ireland, in uh, New Zealand, Uh, worked with a bunch of places in Canada and the US, um, often related to patient safety, but we also did other work related to staff morale, et cetera. And how do we engage people in trying to come up with the solutions rather than more top-down solutions? And I'm going to talk about in a moment how I apply that those lessons from consulting into how I'm trying to help uh, health PEI. So why PEI? That's the question I get all the time. I mean of all the provinces in Canada, PEI is the smallest and how did I end up here? Well, I had a relationship with PEI already. So as I mentioned earlier, our, our Schulich Physician Development Program Uh, had as a client, the Medical Society here. And I was back and forth to Charlottetown over two years, probably about 12 or 14 times. And so I got to know the doctors on the ground here. And 30 physicians in PEI is roughly 10% of the physician complement. So I got to know a fair percentage of doctors here. And I got to hear a lot about the challenges here. And to be perfectly frank, I clearly didn't understand them because I I had a hard time wrapping my head around the healthcare system here, just because I had never worked here before. And so I had very Ontario centric model in my head. And um, so, but I got to learn about a lot of that and the plan was for me to come back in January 2020 to do some more development work with the medical society and the health authority And then at that time I was on a call and I'm like, nobody's going anywhere for two years. Like we are going into a pandemic, just wait for it. And so over that summer, um, I was asked again, do I want to come back? Maybe not as a consultant, you know, leading uh, various discussion groups, but rather come as a consultant to actually work here for six months. And the first wave of the pandemic in Toronto was, Not kind to me, as many of you know, because it was reported by the media, where did Dr. Gardam go? Uh, I actually had an MI back in uh, the spring of 2020. So I was off and deciding what I'm gonna do in the future. When this call came, I could help for six months here in PEI. So I thought, what the heck, you know? We'll, uh, We'll move here to PEI for six months and we'll help out. Once I got here though, I arrived at a time when government was fundamentally trying to change the healthcare system. And I basically got drafted um, where I was asked to chip in as the chief, their, their first chief operating officer. I People who know me, I'll tell you, I know nothing about operations. So it was a bit of a funny fit for me, but it was, it was their way of keeping me here. And then two months later, I was asked to be interim CEO when our CEO went to be the deputy minister of finance. I then, struggled with whether I wanted to stay here or not as the permanent CEO and sort of at the last moment decided that I would agree to apply because there's a lot to change here. And ultimately, and I'll sort of describe that, there's enormous potential here. And I felt this was my opportunity in my career to maybe make a really significant difference. And one that I wouldn't be able to make as big a difference if I were still at UHN, for example, where you know, we really do have this abundance of riches there. So that's how I ended up in, in, uh, in, in PEI. So let me take you through a few slides about the healthcare system in Prince Edward Island, because I'm suspecting most of you don't know much about it. Those of you from Atlantic provinces will know a lot more. But basically, back in the day, there were five health authorities in Prince Edward Island, uh, which is was surprising to me because we have a population of about 160,000 people. So five health authorities felt very distributed for such a small place. And back in 2008, the government commissioned Corpus Sanchez to come in and review the entire healthcare system. And they issued a report in 2009, which is available publicly on the uh, government of PEI website. And basically they said, the five health authorities need to be amalgamated into one. And that's what eventually became health PEI. They said there is too much government interference in day-to-day operations of health. So they suggested making Health PEI an arm's length ground corporation with its own board. They also commented on that there was far too much uh, financial involvement of government in the running of the healthcare system. And so they also suggested there some arm's length. They said we needed to do a lot of work on redeveloping primary care. They noticed even then that some of our facilities were getting a bit long in the tooth. And so really 2010 was a landmark year when health PEI was created under one umbrella. The challenge there, and I'll sort of mention it as we go along, is that the health authority was never able to push through the true amalgamation. And so um, we still have hospitals that don't use health PEI letterhead. They still use their own original letterhead before they were amalgamated into one health authority. Um, we don't have signage on our buildings uh, that identify them as health PEI. I remember when uh, UHN became UHN, um, one of the first things we did was slap those UHN signs on the top of all the buildings. It's a very important branding exercise. Here, that that for whatever reason, and obviously I wasn't here then, that didn't happen. So health PEI has grown up as a single entity, but it's still, until recently, very much operated a little bit like we still had different parts of the system that weren't actually part of health PEI. So that's one of the things that I, I've, I've, I've noticed since being here. And I want to make a comment. These comments are sort of me as a as an academic looking at the system. It's not so much being critical. The system is what it is. It's just these are things that I've noticed. And then as I go through the rest of the talk, I'll explain to you what things I've been able to achieve here so little island big budget uh 830 million dollars we have uh, 6300 employees and five unions 250 full-time physicians but we have another 100 or so which are telemedicine physicians or visiting specialists that sort of thing interestingly most of our doctors are actually salaried here um so only 30 percent are roughly fee-for-service one of the reasons why that budget is so big is that I pay the doctors so the health authority pays the doctors as opposed to for example in Ontario where it's the Ministry of Health that pays the doctors we have seven hospitals two of them are intermediate sized community hospitals which are also referral hospitals so one in Summerside one in uh, Charlottetown we have four community hospitals which are quite small and which are much closer towards um, long-term care than they are uh, real you know busy hospitals. Uh, some of them do have emergency departments, but they're quiet. Really, the majority of the hospital action occurs in Summerside and Charlottetown. and we have one old mental health facility which is currently being rebuilt as we speak. We have that uh, one inpatient addiction, addiction treatment center, five, five community uh, centers seven community mental health sites, and we also have nine public long-term care facilities. So imagine you're me and you're a system guy like I am, and you look at this and go, okay, uh, the doctors are part of the system, the hospitals are part of the system, we've got the employees, I pay the doctors, I've got the hospitals, I've got mental health and addictions, I've got long-term care, wow. If you were gonna to try to work to change a system, it's all right there and it's pretty small. So there could be enormous opportunities to try different things here. And one of, my, one of my frustrations when I worked at UHN or worked at Humber was that we were a hospital. And so UHN, as it got bigger and bigger, it started to add on additional uh, groups, you know, all the, when uh, when I got Toronto Rehab joined, et cetera. But still, UHN doesn't have the breadth of scope that I do here. And so if you're gonna try to bring about change, I have a lot of levers here to make some difference. One of our challenges in PEI is that we're tiny. And so there's not a lot of economy of scale here. And I'll give you an example with respect to communications. When I came here, uh, communications, we had essentially two people uh, covering comms for all of health and they were not controlled by the health authority, they were controlled by government. So one of the first things I asked for is that the health authority should have its own comms people, but we still have to do all the things that a larger health authority would have to do. We've got media relations, we have uh, in, in internal communications, we have um, working with different branches of, of government we've got uh, public engagement, we've got all of these things that we need to do with two people. And those of you who work in smaller centers know that if you don't have a satellite truck from the CBC parked outside your door, it must be a pretty slow news day. So we get a lot of media inquiries here. We are the number one media story almost every day. Uh, with a brief exception when uh, Ottawa was under siege and a brief exception when the Queen died. Otherwise, we are the story. And so we can't do with one or two communications people. We have to hire, I've argued, at least five. We need five communications people because we still have to cover the breadth of all of those needs, even though our size might suggest you just need one. So... Healthcare in PEI is relatively expensive. I mean, life in general in PEI is relatively expensive because we're an island, but healthcare in particular, we don't have those economies of scale. And so, you know, one of the challenges when we compare ourselves with, uh, with the cut data, because that number that I'm showing you is from, when is that from, 2021, that number keeps going up. PEI keeps getting more expensive. And it may be that we're more comparable to the Yukon than we are to other provinces because of our small size. One thing that's very clear is our system has not kept up with immigration. So BEI has traditionally been fairly quiet on the immigration front, but in the last several years, we're the fastest growing province in Canada. And again, fast-growing might be, you know, we have 6,000 new immigrants this year. Well, I know that Toronto might have had 300,000, but look at how big we are. That's a big change in our overall population. And this graph basically shows if you plot out the growth in population and the number of Islanders without a family doctor, they are directly parallel with each other. Our system has not been able to keep up. I I always get asked what happened in 2021. Well, we have a provincial registry. If you don't have a family doctor, you can put your name on the registry. And back in uh, 2020, we did a cleanup exercise because we went through the whole list and we're doing that again right now. We go through the whole list and see who is, um, who's already gotten a family doctor, who has moved elsewhere, et cetera. So we basically clean up the list every, every few years. This list is one of the most politically hot topics on the island where it is routinely said that we're not able to provide services. The number keeps going up. And I keep saying, as a good epidemiologist, you can't talk about the number, we should be talking about the proportion of Islanders who don't have a family doctor, but politics and stats don't really mix very well. So just to compare, PEI is about the size of Kingston, Ontario, Sherbrooke, Quebec, Kelowna, and St. John's, Newfoundland. But we're an entire province. And what that means is things are very, very close here. And again, anybody who works in a smaller jurisdiction is gonna know exactly to what I'm referring to is we do obviously have municipal government, we have provincial government, but the provincial government is very involved at at a very fine detail level. And it's always been one of the challenges here. I will typically get multiple emails a day from either the premier's office or the minister where Islanders have emailed them, frankly, their personal health information and are trying to knock on the door of government to try to get access to service or to get something reversed or something like that. It's a, it's a daily occurrence, not something I ever would have experienced in Ontario. Now I know my colleagues, if anybody's watching from uh, Nova Scotia or Newfoundland or New Brunswick or up North, you'll know what I'm talking about. And so it's not unique to PEI; it's just very prominent in PEI. Again, I would argue because of our small size. So you might email the minister of health the same way. If I lived in Toronto, I might email my local city councillor because there's a big pothole in my street. And so there's that constant potential for over-involvement of government in the healthcare system. And it's one of the things that I've been working on very closely with government to try to figure that out. Meet the players. Now you might say, "I don't know how to use PowerPoint because I've hidden the health PEI circle in the middle there, but again, those of you for, from small jurisdictions will know exactly why I did this. So Health PEI is an independent standalone Crown corporation. We have an independent board, but we are very tightly held and influenced by a variety of different groups. And I'll just sort of go through them quickly. So the Department of Health and Wellness, they, that's that's where my uh, deputy minister set, sits. And historically, there's been a very tight relationship between the department and Health PEI. In fact, most of the CEOs for Health PEI were former deputy ministers who were taken from the government role, put in in Health PEI, to try to expedite operations, health and wellness actually uh, recruits my my doctors and nurses. I don't do my own recruiting, which is an interesting thing that I saw when I when I when I first got here. So I have to rely on, on working with them. The unions are obviously very um, um, vocal, as they are in every jurisdiction in, in in Canada. Again, because of our small size, the unions have pretty direct access to politicians here compared to what I would be used to in a much larger jurisdiction. And again, I don't think that's unique to PEI. It's just the nature of our size. Island EMS is not run by me. It's um, We actually work with uh, with uh, uh, Medivy and Island EMS actually reports up to the Department of Health and Wellness. So that's again, something that's not me. Treasury Board, um, One of the big things here, which we're working on right now, is that I don't have a global budget. So if I'm going to spend money on something that I did not budget for, let's say I've got money budgeted for three nurses, but there's five social workers who come by and I really need five social workers. I can't, until recently, transfer money from this budget to that budget to hire those social workers. I would have to get approval from Treasury Board. And the cutoffs for that were as low as $100,000. So you can imagine our finance department spent most of its time creating treasury board submissions in order for us to make make changes. We don't do our hiring or our job classifications or our. um, we participate in job interviews, but we don't run them. The Public Service Commission does that for us. So that is something which has been centralized here for government and we're, we're working with them, but I don't do that myself. The Medical Society in uh, PEI is very vocal, but very different from what I'm used to in that the Medical Society is a real player for change here. They're much more involved in the policy level, advocating for things than what I was used to in Ontario. They just have a much bigger voice. And by and large, I, Often don't agree with them. I'm uh, sorry, often don't disagree with the medical society. I actually agree with them. And so uh, it's an interesting dynamic there that I was not used to in Ontario. The politicians I've already mentioned you know, your average island politician has a constituent base of about 6,000 people. So there's a reasonable chance that they know uh, personally a lot of their constituents. Nature of a small size. So you can imagine the temptation to get politicians involved in things um, can be quite substantial. Uh, Just a simple example of there's a group on the island who are worried about Lyme disease and are lobbying their um, member of the legislative uh, of the parliament here to basically direct health PEI on what to do with, with Lyme disease. That's just a simple example. Uh, recruitment, as I mentioned, is the Department of Health and Wellness. And of course, the media here are everywhere. When I was a consultant uh, working at UHN, some of the work I did was in Cape Breton with the hospital in, in Sydney. And they described that, you know, once the fisheries sort of went and we weren't doing as much mining, healthcare was the story. It's very much like that here, uh, especially during the pandemic where we were following the zero COVID strategy. And so there weren't any tourists to talk about, so let's, let's, let's get after the health authority. So it's a very interesting dynamic to work in. Like smaller centers um, that you would find in every province, we don't do everything here. We have to send it out elsewhere for people to do it. And so we are dependent on other provinces for cardiac, thoracics, neurosurgery, even infectious diseases. I'm the only infectious disease doctor on the island, and I'm not licensed here. So historic traps, the province has wanted to do everything for everybody, so we've had too many services. There's been a focus on boots on the ground, which means we're not going to pay for bureaucracy or administration. We want to hire doctors and nurses. And so we end up with a very, very lean administrative group. But what that means is that our doctors and nurses and other frontline workers are not well supported. It's one of our issues when it comes to retention. We just don't have the staff to support them properly. Um, The blurring of boundaries you've already gotten from what I said earlier. We've had historically a very physician-centric model like many parts of Canada where the doctor's at the top of the pyramid. Um, And so all referrals, everything has to go through the doctor and you can imagine that that can really slow things down political involvement, I've mentioned, and then bureaucracy, we're kind of seen as government. And the fact that we advertise through the Public Service Commission, it's like you're applying for a government job. It's, it's I would argue healthcare is quite different from government, um, but that's the nature of some of the traps we've gotten into. We um, did a recent uh, survey of our staff. Our participation rate before was 18%, and anybody in HR will tell you that ain't good. We bumped it up to 51%. I asked people to be brutally honest. And we also did this during middle of our Omicron wave. The results are just coming in now. They're not good. But for the first time, I have real data where I can start looking at where do we need to move forward. So as I told people, although I should be really depressed by seeing these numbers, they actually give me hope that now we've got uh, a much more solid plan going forward. So to sum up, We have problems with access to healthcare. We've got very bureaucratic processes. We've got a workforce where we're short all the time and the public has kind of a love-hate relationship but probably more on the hate side of things. So I'm a local celebrity in in, uh, PEI so I get stopped all the time on the street. And the question I usually get is how terrible is that job of yours and why did you come here? And then often somebody will say, I really feel sorry for you and thank you for, for, for you know, helping us. So let me take you through a few slides uh, on what I'm thinking here, and then uh, we'll finish up with some, with some questions. So as a student of complexity science, some of you may have seen this graph before, but I'll just take you through it. If you divide the problems we face onto two axes, one is, How much does the group agree? And the other way, other is how much certainty is there that we're gonna get somewhere? Complexity rests in the middle where there's not a lot of agreement on the way forward. And there's not a lot of certainty that whatever you do is going to work out. And the classic example of a complex problem is raising children. It's not something that you can do in a very linear planned out fashion which is something you would do if it was a simple or complicated problem. So healthcare has been declared, has been called the most complex adaptive system ever created by humans. And so much of my strategies to bring about change are not Excel spreadsheet strategies. They're very human strategies. So when you raise a kid, there's no formula. Uh, One raising one child doesn't, doesn't assure success with the next. You can have all the expertise you want, but it's not sufficient. Relationships are everything. You can't divide the parts. There's all sorts of unknown variables at play and each child is absolutely unique. So I took this job knowing that's what complex problems look like and that's been my my strategy. So in complexity, it's iterative. You figure it out as you go along and so you have to shift as you get more information. A classic example of that would be pandemic responses, right? People got frustrated because it's like, why can't you get your act together from the beginning It's because we're learning, right? So that would be expected. It's about strategy formation where you try to stay high in the clouds and think of large strategies on how you wanna change things. And you have to work with paradoxes where something might work here, but it won't work there, but they're still part of the same system and they have to coexist. Generative relationships, the idea that if you engage people in the discussions, if you engage them in the way forward, you will come up with novel ideas that nobody else thought of on their own, and that's how you generate the way forward. There's no one fix. I get asked all the time, what's the one thing we need to do to fix Canadian health care? There is no one thing. There's a thousand things we have to do to fix Canadian health care. Complex systems are bound by simple rules. The idea that um, even though you can have different things happening in different places, there are guiding principles that everybody agrees with. So, for example, with raising children, we all agree you have to feed them, love them, give them some sort of clothing, some sort of socialization. If you don't do that, it falls apart. But when you get into the weeds is when you start seeing all of these differences. And complexity allows you to tolerate a number of those local differences. And if you find things that are working, you try to pile resources on it and you encourage that direction. And if you find things that aren't working, you're trying to dampen down the negative attractors. So as a leader in emerging change, my job is to create and surface conflict. So since being here, I've been a vocal guy and I've been talking about the historic issues of our healthcare system. And so anything I'm saying to you today is nothing I haven't said to the CBC. I'm trying to identify that there's conflicts out there, name them. We have to embrace uncertainty rather than having everything planned out. And I ask wicked questions like, how do, we, how do we have an increase in immigration? And at the same time, how can the island maintain its pride in being PEI? Because as you know, PEI is a very proud island. Encourage novelty and engage in sense-making. Stay up in the balcony, tell stories, listen and notice. When I first took this job, I was in the weeds at the bottom of this slide. Every day was just stuff I would have expected uh, Uh, department head to be dealing with, but it came right to me all the time. And it's taken a while for me to be able to put the structures in place where I can get into the balcony and start actually measuring what's going on. This is one of two tools that I've been using here to help engage people on our senior team. This is the business eco-cycle. And basically it's based on forest ecology, but the idea is you give birth to a program it reaches maturity. At some point it stagnates and gets stuck in the rigidity trap. And then you have to kind of blow it up, go through renewal, and then start over again. And what I've seen in healthcare systems across the world when I've been a consultant is a lot of what we do is stuck in the rigidity trap, where we've just always done it this way, and there's this sort of futility, we just keep doing it. And there's a lovely quote here from Barbara Tuckman: awful momentum makes carrying through easier than calling off folly. She was writing about... Um, governments getting into wars and things where they knew this wasn't gonna work, uh, but they did it anyway, because it was this momentum. I think this equally applies to, we're stuck in a rigidity trap and we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, even though we know it's, because it's so hard to get out of that. We know it's not that helpful. One of the tools I use here to get us through the rigidity trap is the generative relationship star, where really I'm looking at all of our future work We want to have a very diverse group of people chiming in. We want them to be able to speak their opinion, which means we have to have psychological safety. We are encouraging them to have healthy conflict and talk about issues. We need to have the power to make change. And everybody in the the room needs to know why they're working together. And so as a consultant, I would bring this tool to teams and ask them to draw a little diamond on the star where they think they are. If they're very diverse, they're up where the S is. If they're really listening to each other, they're up where the T is. If they've got power to make change, they're where the A is, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you don't have balance in the groups that you're engaging, you can get into some serious trouble. So imagine a situation where you've got, every there's, there's no diversity. Everybody's from the same background. Nobody's really talking about the issue because they're afraid of getting in trouble, but they've got enormous power to act and they all understand why they're in the room. So it's very, very um, skewed towards action rather than reflection. You end up with this. I have this picture on my wall. This is considered to be the most famous graph in history
0: the beige line, the width
1: of that beige line is the size of Napoleon's army when he invaded Moscow. And the black line coming back is the size of his army when they finally returned to Paris. And wait, and, and it's actually plotted out over geography along with the ambient temperature. So basically you can see big army when you started, holy crap, you're all dead and frozen to death at the end of it. So... This is what happens when you get powerful people who are not actively engaging and getting diverse opinions and creating psychological safety. I don't think Napoleon's field marshals probably felt particularly psychologically safe when he said he wanted to do that. So very bad things can happen if you're not very deliberate about how you are creating your your structures. Another concept I just wanna mention briefly, buy-in is wrong. Buy-in implies that we, the, 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 the group, the health authority, the leaders have done all this work and then we come to you at the end and we ask you to buy in. When I was chair at, uh, of uh, MEC at UHN, this was something that would come in all the time. We need the doctors to buy into something. What you actually wanna do is you wanna get us engaged in the very beginning. When you identify there's an issue, engage us. Let's come up with a concept of a shared outcome and engage and engage and engage. So when it comes time to roll something out, I'm not asking you to follow my idea, I'm asking you to follow your idea. That's the key difference. So to wrap up in the last few minutes, we have very dedicated people here. I love the team that I work with. My senior team is absolutely fantastic. Very small geography, but we have a reasonable size for our geography. You know, driving 20 minutes to an appointment here is a big deal. Driving 20 minutes to an appointment in northern Saskatchewan is impossible for most people. So, we have an advantage of our small size. We have one primary care EMR, we have one acute care EMR. They talk to each other. We also have a provincial database for pharmacy where all that information is there. Within a couple of years, every person on the island who's received health care will be part of the same thing. Imagine being able to do that here. And we have I've created over the last 18 months, I've tried to restore a lot of the relationships that have been damaged over time. And I currently have great relationships with a lot of those partners that I showed in that very busy slide with all the bubbles. And we know our why. One of the things I was always searching for when I was at UHN, we would have, you know, all these uh, strategic conversations about achieving global impact or this or that. Yet a fair percentage of the people in our hospitals were just like the patients here in the hospitals. They weren't they weren't transplants, they weren't necessarily neurosurgery patients, yeah. et cetera. And UHN always struggled with that local responsibility as well as being the, you know, a huge academic leader in North America. Here, we don't have that issue. We know why we're here. And that gives me some comfort actually. I like to know why, why I'm here. We have some occasional flashes of brilliance. Like, look at that. When you talk about um, delivering Paxlovid to people, BEI knocked it out of the park and it's because of our small size and our ability to be able to work those relationships that that happens. We set in our strategic plan for this year, healthy teams, healthy people, healthy island communities and I insisted we put healthy teams first because we really need to work internally on our human resources, make people feel valued, seen, heard, respected, supported And that's going to require us building that infrastructure that's been stripped away from health PEI over the last decade. Swiss cheese always gets a bad rap in healthcare where we uh, use it for safety issues. But I wanted to point out here, we have a lot of alignment right now. You've got me coming in wanting to change things, a very supportive deputy, a medical society that wants to change things. We have extreme frustration. We have our burning platform. And we have an extremely supportive premier who really wants to try to transform healthcare here so there's a lot of opportunities so what are we doing we're communicating and listening with people we're acknowledging that we have problems we're setting boundaries who owns what i constantly tell people this is your lane this is my lane we're creating partnerships or looking to create partnerships with other provinces if we need to hit back I will hit back on behalf of the health authority. We occasionally get slammed in the media for inappropriate things and I will take the media on. We uh, challenge and reset assumptions. We're now looking at healthcare truly provincially here and we can do that because we're so small. We're redefining scope of practice. So we're getting pharmacists now to be able to re-prescribe medications for people. We're looking at expanding scope for nurse practitioners for everybody. The physician is being transformed into an important scarce resource for the rest of the system. We have our patient medical home model, which is about transforming primary care into uh, basically interdisciplinary teams. We're redoing our physician leadership structure. We're looking at recruitment, HR practices, health human resources planning. I personally am advocating for health PEI to be able to have control over those functions because I believe we are unique. We've changed fiscal policy to allow us more budget flexibility. We're creating a patient relations office, which we haven't had. We're going to be revisiting physician payment models in the coming uh, in the coming few months as we renegotiate our master agreement with the medical society. We're reviewing our role of community hospitals, not because I'm trying to close them, but because they can do more than ALC care. They could be uh, restorative care centers. They could be palliative care centers. There's lots we could be using them for. We're putting huge effort into staff wellness mentoring and support programs. Last slide, other considerations. I didn't come here for the lifestyle but let me just tell you that's the view from my condo in Toronto. It took me 20 minutes to get to work at Humber, it would take me 45 if I walked to UHN. To get home was probably about an hour, it was 12, it was 12 kilometers to get to work. I worked very long hours. Here I drive for 11 minutes to get to work I have a more reasonable work-life balance and that's the view from my backyard. So it's not what brought me here, but it's not a bad thing. So I'll leave it there and open it up to questions. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you, Michael. Um, So there are a number of questions and with the the sort of limited time, I'm gonna try to group them as best I could. Uh, So we had a few questions about private healthcare and wondering if you could uh, discuss what's happening in PEI what kind of comparables there are that you know of to other jurisdictions um, and just your personal thoughts
1: yeah private healthcare PEI is far behind almost every other province with respect to those conversations so we don't um, you know I'm used to sending uh, if you've got a service like a large lab service you could send a lot of your regular specimens off to a private provider we don't do that. Everything here is very tightly held by, by government. Um, so that's the easy answer there. In terms of my, my views, if you could prove to me the privatization created better access for less money and had a better service and treated more people, as we say, fill your boots. I think that's awesome. I don't think that's necessarily the case, though. So our healthcare system needs dramatic change. Privatization should be part of a conversation, but that doesn't mean it's actually the answer. But again, we should be
0: encouraging these kind of debates. Thank you. Um, so another question we had was, uh, could you just quickly talk about the, the board makeup? Um, who's involved in recruitment for the board, what is the, you know, the, is it a skills-based board, that sort of thing? Just discuss a little bit about the board.
1: Yeah, I didn't mention a lot about my board. The board um, is, um, it's a true governance board, um, but the reality of the, the small island and a lot of influence is that I have multiple bosses, of which one is the board. Uh, The board are largely healthcare workers. They are chosen by government. I have no say in who's on the board. And they're typically not a skills-based board where we're looking for uh, people with financial backgrounds, et cetera. They're the opposite of boards that I was used to in Ontario. I'm trying to change that because I do want a skills-based governance board that I can bring issues to. But right now, our board is more involved in uh, advocating for their own local issues
0: which, again, is not that
1: unusual in
0: Atlantic Canada,
1: people will tell you.
0: Thank you. Um, So we're we're pretty much out of time. I had a question for you, but uh, I'll ask the question. You don't need to answer it. You're about to experience your first hurricane um, for you personally. Um so we had a brief discussion beforehand about the you know disaster preparedness and it sounds like uh, the province is uh, well prepared so best of luck to you and and thank your you. population over the next few days other than that michael thank you very much bye bye thanks very much everybody